Well, good morning and welcome. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen. The call to listen to the words of Christ is just as vital today as it was 2,000 years ago in Israel. Both ancient Israel and the modern West share in common the constant state of being battered by the various gospels of our world, calling for our undying allegiance or our defeated silence. We are constantly being preached to by our screens, our friends, our family, our schools, our governments. Everyone has a message they want us to listen to and accept. And the more our ears grow accustomed to the cries of the world, the less we listen to the word of God. Once again today, the command from Jesus to listen cuts through to us. As Mark 4 unfolds, speaking and hearing show themselves to be predominant themes that weave throughout the text, drawing in its listeners to hear the word of God spoken by the divine word himself. Here, Jesus gives both challenge and comfort as he reveals God's kingdom to his followers. In the particular passage of focus for today, Jesus teaches on the kingdom of God and its trajectory from quiet beginnings to full revelation in the final days. As we look at God's word today, our big idea is that the kingdom of God is revealed and known through the hearing and joyful acceptance of his word. So the first point for today is that those who hear the word of God and believe it are those who are in the kingdom of God. Mark's gospel revolves around the kingdom of God being revealed by Jesus Christ and is a call to repentance and faith. Mark gives us this main point through the first words uttered by Jesus Christ in this gospel. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is not merely a giving up of bad habits or certain sins. It is that the whole nation is facing the wrong direction and is looking for salvation from the wrong place. It has its heart set on wrong things. As long as this is so, the reign of God is hidden from its view. We must turn and face God not simply take on new and better habits. Last week, Caleb Click gave an excellent sermon on the parable of the sower. And one of the themes that he drew out from that parable is that he spoke on, what, that he spoke on was the hearing of the word and the effect that it does or does not have on its listener. Why would this be the parable that Mark uses to preface Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of God? Well, the command to listen in verse 3 comes from a consistent theme throughout the Old Testament where the true covenant community of God was revealed by those who heard the word of God and responded to it. This is seen most starkly in the passage that Brandon read for us during the congregational prayer. The significance of the book of Deuteronomy is this was Moses reinstituting the covenant with the new generation of Israelites before entering into the promised land after their years of wandering in the wilderness. 
Chapter 6 contains the central creed of the Israelites known as the Shema, which that is the Hebrew word for hear. I will read, for it, uh, read it for us again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In no uncertain terms, the Israelites are supposed to hear, do, and teach the word of God from the moment of their rising to the moment of laying down. The covenant community of Israel, which was uniquely ordained in redemptive history to be the example of a nation under the rule of the kingdom of God, was to be characterized by being word-saturated. Those who heard showed that they truly heard by loving God and others. So when Jesus begins Mark 4 with the same word, Shema, he is rooting it back in the central command God gave to the Israelites in Deuteronomy with all of the insinuation wrapped up in it. Those who heard the word that he was speaking and accepted it are the true members of the kingdom of God. This connection can be drawn out for two reasons. One, the parable of the sower is all about hearing the word and responding to it with fruitfulness. The second is that Jesus's response to a question in Mark we are all familiar with. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we have the instance where we see Jesus being asked or Jesus talking about what the greatest commandment is. And we all are quick to respond to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. However, in the book of Mark, Mark starts earlier. In Mark chapter 12, when Jesus is asked, what is the most important commandment? He says, the most important is, hear, O Israel. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is not because one of the gospels is more correct than the other. This is because the gospel writers had different uh, focuses in what they were writing. In the gospel of Mark, the part of the command that Jesus is emphasizing is to hear. And love of neighbor and of God are the natural outflow of someone who has appropriately heard the word of the Lord with faith. You cannot love the Lord or your neighbor as yourself if you do not have faith. Paul put it, puts it like this in Romans 10. Our faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So this is not merely, have you heard the gospel preached? It is, have you heard the gospel with a heart of faith? Similarly, it is not simply, do you know the teachings of scripture? It, has the, it is, has that knowledge of the word led to a love of God and others? If you know all of the teachings of God's word, but have not love, you are a Pharisee. Conversely, 
If you think you have love, but it is not rooted in the knowledge of God and his word, you are simply a child who thinks he knows how to fight in a real war because he saw somebody hold a toy soldier. Mark repeats the phrase, and he said seven times from verses 9 through 30 of chapter 4. This is more than Mark simply progressing the story along. Each time he repeats the phrase, and he said, it is almost as if Mark is saying, are you listening? He's speaking. Are you hearing? The challenge then becomes for us, how can we tell who is really hearing and therefore who is really a member of the kingdom of God? In one very real sense, that's not my or your responsibility to figure out. The Lord is the one who knows the hearts of man. Yet at the same time, God does utilize ways to reveal those who do not have faith. And we see that in chapter 4 through the usage of parables. Now, if you were a Jew who heard that Jesus was speaking in parables as you're listening to Mark or reading through Mark, you would have felt a certain sense of discomfort. Parables were not just pithy sayings to help people remember spiritual truths. In the Old Testament, the prophets of God, like Moses or Elijah, spoke and taught plainly to the people of Israel. But over time, as Israel rejected plain teaching, the Lord commanded his prophets, like Ezekiel, Isaiah, or Jeremiah, to start speaking in parables to the people. The presence of parables was a form of judgment upon those who had hard hearts and a correction to the righteous who had become lax. Those whose hearts were already hard would become even more hard, and those who were the righteous would be drawn back. Now, a helpful illustration, perhaps, for this would be for you to think about the subject that you disliked the most in school. Let us say it was mathematics. Down to the core of your being, you detest numbers. You would have preferred to subject yourself to an eternity of hearing someone scratch their nails down a chalkboard than to see somebody write another dumb number up on the board. However, one day, your math teacher starts to write letters on the board, and you become intrigued. Here is something that you can associate with a different part of your life. You are excited, you are drawn in, but then to your horror, the teacher begins to reveal the letters were not letters at all, but just representations of other numbers. And you, you descend into levels of disdain for mathematics that you never imagined possible. And you stand up and walk out of the room. <laughs> now, on the other side of the room sits a student who has been led away for her love for mathematics because she has been hanging out with those artsy kids who woo you with their fancy colors and tantalizing statements about self-expression. But as the math teacher starts to put letters on the board, she becomes intrigued. Here is something that she can associate to other parts of her life. All of a sudden, she is drawn in. Mathematics is fresh and new, and she desires all the more for mathematical knowledge. 
comical, simplistic, yes. But this is a helpful way for understanding the purpose of the parables. And we see this progression unfold in the Gospel of Mark. When Jesus shows up on the scene in chapter 1, his teaching is quite plain. He says, the kingdom of God's here. Repent and believe in the gospel. We have a couple of moments in the first three chapters where we see Jesus teaching quite plainly. But then, uh, we, and also we also see that his message um, of the arrival of the kingdom of God is authenticated by the fact that he is casting out demons and healing the sick. However, in those three chapters, we also see the faithlessness and the dislike from the Israelite community. It is not for nothing that the passage that Mark relates before Jesus speaks in parables is the passage where the Jewish leaders accuse Jesus of doing things by the power of demons. So when Jesus begins to speak in parables, he tells us in verses 11 through 12 that it is to show the hearers with faith from the hearers without faith, those in the kingdom and those outside of the kingdom. This is a helpful setup before we get into the, the parables on the kingdom. I promise I'm not preaching on something that was not just purely given to me. Um, this helps us understand the teachings of, that Jesus gives on the kingdom because it ultimately is about leaving the kingdom of darkness to enter into the kingdom of light. Jesus begins his earthly ministry with the declaration that the kingdom of God is at hand. And then the first thing that he does is he goes into the wilderness to do battle against the kingdom of darkness and succeeds in doing in the wilderness what Adam could not do in the garden. And then he calls us to repent, turn from your allegiance to the kingdom of darkness and turn to the kingdom of God. So then this leads us to our second point, which is, Jesus' parables are on the kingdom, are comfort for an embattled church. Sometimes when we read scripture, we forget that scripture was written to an original audience as well as to us. When Mark wrote his gospel, he was writing to encourage Christians who were being persecuted and suffering. Imagine living in a society where you are actually persecuted for being a Christian. And I do not mean people might can cancel you for holding particular views. I mean that you and your family might be murdered for fun just because you're a Christian. It would be easy to start to wonder where this kingdom of God is. Did the kingdom meet some heavy resistance and falter in its advance? Did Jesus really bring the kingdom? The next three parables, while one does carry a warning, are meant to provide encouragement to a weary and embattled church by showing them that the kingdom of God is and will advance and that it is done simply by being faithful to the word of Christ. Let us look at the first parable. Verse 21, and he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket? or under a bed, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. 
This parable often is explained in the context of Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, where Jesus tells his disciples to let their light shine before all men. Hence the classic, this little light of mine. This is not an unbiblical understanding of the parable. However, Jesus has already told us in verse 11 that the secret that is being revealed is the secret of the kingdom and that the revelation comes through the hearing and receiving of the word of God. Now, notice the comfort that Mark is giving here. Would the kingdom of God be inaugurated through Jesus just for it to be, as it were, shoved under a bed? Jesus did not humble himself to be born as a baby, live with all of the infirmities and sufferings of life, to die on the cross, rise again from the dead, and ascend into heaven just to let his kingdom falter. Take heart. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Sinclair Ferguson puts it like this. Jesus is among his disciples as a veiled king. But just as a lamp brought into a house is placed where it will shine brightly, so it will be with him. The day will come when Jesus will give light to the whole world. He will not remain hidden forever. Now this parable continues in verses 24 and 25, and he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Here's both a promise of a blessing and curse. Just as we have already seen, the secret of the kingdom is received not by our efforts, not by our talent, not by our upbringing, but simply by hearing the word with a heart of faith. To the suffering church, the comfort is this. You don't have to do anything to bring the kingdom. The survival of the kingdom is not dependent upon your efforts. All you need to do is hear and live the gospel. What a beautiful promise is given here. If you have responded in faith, God will increase your faith. He who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion. While your faith may be seed-like, the Lord will cause it to grow and produce fruit if you have responded to the word. This is the meaning of the phrase, the measure. Jesus is not describing what he describes in other portions of scripture where he's saying, judge not lest you be judged in the way that you measure others, you will be held up to that measure. No, he is saying to pay attention to what you hear, which in the context of Mark 4 is still talking about the word and the way that you respond to it will be added back to you. If you respond with faith, interest, and desire, you will receive understanding, greater faith, and greater desire. If you respond with disdain and hardness of heart, your heart will be further hardened. Now for a moment's pause, this was me and this was you. Until the Lord gave us hearts of faith, we all had hard hearts where the word of the Lord was revolting to us and not where we would find life. 
So this is not a fatalistic warning, yet at the same time it is a serious one. Will you choose blessing or will you choose curse? For this suffering church, Mark once again is saying, take heart. You followed Christ for Christ, not for earthly comforts. Continue to seek after him and his word, and you will receive him all the more. Now on to the parable of the scattered seed and the mustard seed. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. From the outside, the kingdom of God often seems fruitless, and its growth sometimes imperceptible. And yet what we are promised in this parable is that one day the grain will be ripe, and the harvest will come, and the kingdom of God is a place of rest and shelter. It becomes easy when we see evil prevailing to become frustrated with God's kingdom. Why must wickedness persist? Why does the kingdom of darkness seem to infiltrate every space? Can't God see what is happening? Often in moments like these, it becomes easy for us to fear. When we begin to become unsure of God's kingdom work, we often begin to look for another kingdom to tack on to God's kingdom work as extra insurance. My friends, the only other kingdom than the kingdom of God is the kingdom of darkness. When we look away from God and his kingdom, we inevitably find ourselves being unfaithful to God. Leslie Newbegin puts it like this, when the message of the kingdom is divorced from the person of Jesus, it becomes a program or an ideology, but not a gospel. This means the whole person and work of Christ, not a dissected Jesus in which we take the parts of his teachings and his personality that we like, and we remove the others that we don't like. And this indeed can be tricky for us to identify. We are swimming in our own cultural milieu. But a helpful question to ask ourselves in, in looking to identify this is what things do I often find myself being willing to mistreat others in order to defend? If you are operating in the name of and for the sake of the kingdom of God, you will not mistreat others. Name calling, anger, tearing down, and pride are counter to the very fabric of what it means to be a follower of God, who humbly died for the good of others. When we find ourselves behaving this way in our defense of something, we are certainly fighting for a kingdom, but it is not God's. 
and to hedge off a potential rebuttal that Jesus flipped tables, so sometimes you got to flip some tables. Let me ask, do we seriously have the audacity to claim we have the same right to judge in the same manner as Jesus, the holy, immortal God and judge of the whole universe who never sinned and who would be just to condemn all of humanity to eternal damnation? What fever dream are we living in to think that the kingdom of God is advanced by being jerks for Jesus. And far, far too often, our claims that we are defending the kingdom of God as we eviscerate other image bearers, and even worse, other blood-bought believers, is because we are fighting for our own kingdom, which is nothing less than to fight for the kingdom of darkness. The bride of Christ ought not to adulterate herself with the kings of other kingdoms. This does not mean go and hide in your home for fear of the world. This means that no one else is our hope. No one else is our lover. No one else is our groom. No one else is our king than Jesus Christ himself. The husband of the church died to bring about the kingdom of God, and we are to be about the work of our husband, like he was about the work of his father, with the same allegiance, drive, and singularity of purpose. Perhaps part of the reason why, when the world looks at us and does not take us seriously, it is because the church loses its mind every time something does not go the way we want it to go. And the world begins to wonder about this so-called hope that we have. My friends, is Jesus on the throne or not? Is Jesus coming back again or not? The way we respond to adversity, persecution, and suffering reveal how deeply we believe those answers. Jesus' promise to us is this. The kingdom of God is planted. It is growing, and its fullness will be seen at the final days. We must have faith that God is and will do what he says he is doing, and that he is caring for us now and will care for us for all of eternity. We are not to fear, but to mourn. Mourn the brokenness of our world. Mourn that there are those who are still under the reign of the kingdom of darkness. But mourn as those with hope. A hope that is not a wish, but an assured reality in which the lamp will give way to the full radiance of the glory of God as the image of the ripe field will give way to the full assembly of God revealed at the eschatological harvest and the kingdom in its fullness will burst forth and we will take our eternal Sabbath not in the shade of a tree but under the shade of the wings of the Almighty. Church, do you hear this? Jesus ends with some quiet comfort because it is easy for us to get overwhelmed by Scripture. There is a lot there, and it's not all perfectly plain. But look at what 
this passage ends with for us for today. Verse 33. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Our hearing and our understanding, our seeing and our perceiving is not dependent upon our intelligence, whether or not we grew up in a Christian home or any other condition. It is dependent upon the tender kindness of Jesus at work in us through his spirit. He spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. John 16, verses 12 through 14, say something similar. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus knows how to speak to his sheep. When we are but babes in the faith, he teaches us in single syllable words. And with firm tenderness, he leads his own by the hand, each as he or she is able. As we hear and understand, he takes us just a little bit further, instructs us just a little more intricately, and cuts just a little more deeply. My friend, you do not have to be on the same level as somebody else. You have to be faithful to the way that the Lord is speaking you to, to you today in his word. The kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe in the gospel. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God together, proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.